Now, my opening statement is absolutely true for all of us, and you already know this, but I just have to say it, that every person under the sound of my voice has been wounded at some point in their life. There's not one of us that's listening here today that has skated through life without any scratches, without any problems, without any conflict, without any scars. Every person has gone through life and experienced some form of wounding, and that would be like a painful experience or circumstance or some type of event. Now, these wounds can vary on, in levels. They can vary in degrees of pain. Some of us have gone through more than others. Of course, that is the case. But when we talk about wounds today, here's what I'm referring to, this and a whole lot more. I'm talking about abandonment, I'm talking about abuse or illness or divorce or adultery or any form of loss. And as we expand this concept a little bit, it can be things like getting let go of a job. Sometimes it can be like going through a pandemic and losing family members. That didn't happen to anybody. Losing family and friends, even though we're still among the living, but we no longer have relationship because we have some form of conflict. There's a pain that's associated with that, and that forms a wound in our soul. And we move on and we keep living life. There are a lot of things that happen. And for all of us, because we have to be functional, we just keep moving on. We keep going. But seldom do we take inventory and stop and realize that maybe there's something on the shelf of our soul that's affecting or influencing us, that's causing us to do or not do things that God might have us to be focused on or to be about. And I, when I was thinking about this concept of freedom from past wounds, I was randomly actually reading some medical journals, which is dangerous as a non-professional <laughs> of anything medical. But this is what it was saying about a heart attack, and I didn't realize this. When someone has a heart attack, the blood supply to their body gets interrupted, which causes damage to the heart muscles. Some muscles even die. And they cease to ever function again. The heart is not able to regenerate more muscle and it's replaced by scar tissue. And so that person has to learn how to live with less heart function than before the heart attack happened. Here's why people emphasize, medical professionals emphasize people to get in shape and start eating better and start doing cardio and all of the exercise that is associated with recovery. Here's why. Because you can no longer function how you did physically now that you have less heart functionality. You have to be in better shape because you're working with less than what you had. And I think past wounds actually can work like that. We can get affected. We can we can have a painful experience and it starts to shut down a part of our heart and we have to learn to live life with less than what we had and we don't often even realize this. So the truth is this, is that if we don't process our past wounds in Christ and we don't process them the way that the Bible says, they absolutely will hinder whatever God has for us and the way that he's called us to live. That means that we're bound. And so the good news today is that Jesus said in Luke 4, 18, I've come to set free those who are oppressed. I've come to set free those who have been wounded, those who have been afflicted, those who have been offended. I've come to set you free. And Jesus heals us from the inside out. And if we let him go deep, friends, he will go as deep as we let him go. 
if you open up the, the doors to your soul, Jesus will go all the way in and liberate you. And the glorious freedom that you will walk in, you and, you and I would never know unless Jesus stepped into all of those places. And so my exhortation today is let him do it. Let him go as far as he wants to go and as deep as he wants to go because what is on the other end in our life, for that freedom is so much greater than we could ever know. I was thinking about a passage when considering this concept and I was led to Hebrews chapter 12, verse one through four. Now the book of Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish believers and they're deeply struggling essentially with going back to things. Now, the context is historically significant. It's rich. It's deep. I don't have time to go, to go into that because that in and of itself could be a message. But they're struggling with going backwards. And so I want to read to you just a couple verses today, Hebrews chapter 12, and here's what it says. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. This is the word of the living God. I want to share a couple things with you today about freedom from past wounds. And the first part I think is appropriate is to talk to you a little bit about the power of past wounds. In our passage, the writer is bringing up the struggle that his readers are having with going backwards. And so he paints a picture of life being like a marathon. Now, runners understand this. I am not one. I don't get it, but I get it. It's not an experiential thing that I get here but runners know that you want to be light when you run. The idea here, when the writer of Hebrews says that you need to throw off the encumbrances or the weights that so easily entangle, those weights and the sin that so easily entangles, the reason he says that and paints this picture of life like a marathon is because past wounds and cycles of sin, they're like layers and the more of them we have on our life, the more layered up that we are, and it would make it quite impossible to run some kind of marathon race. And it's a really good picture because every runner would go, yeah, of course, or anybody that's ever been a spectator and watched a marathon, they understand that they're wearing those little shorts that are barely clothes at all <laughs> and some form of a see-through tank top that's just dragging off their body as they're running in the wind at their back. I mean, it's, it's, this is the way that you have to run if you're, if you're going to win. You have to be light. And so he says, get rid of all of these other things that are gonna weigh you down. And I, it reminded me of a vision that I had, I think it was three weeks ago now. I was in a time of prayer and I was just talking to the Lord, listening. I journal when I do that most of the time. And I had this vision, this picture that I believe was from the Lord, and it very much illustrated the passage that I just read to you. And here's what it was. I saw this large racetrack, like a quarter mile, and there was a lot of stands, and so there are all these people in the stands. And by the way, you're not the people in the stands, okay? Is he talking to me? No, I'm, I'm just saying what I saw. There are all these people in the stands, and this coach, this motivational speaker, coach type person comes out, stands in front of all the people and he starts riling everybody up. And I realize there's nobody running on the racetrack. I'm sort of on the side just watching all of this. 
He starts riling them up. You can do this. You can run. You're amazing. And everybody gets excited when they're told they're amazing. It's like, yeah, I am amazing. I I know. Thank you for saying that. It's been a while since somebody told me what I know. They're all excited. Like, you can run the race and you can do this. And everybody in the stands are getting all excited. They they move from spectators like, yeah, yeah, I, I can do this. And I watch so many people as he's talking start to stand up. And as they stood up, I noticed attached to like their belt area were these large weights like you'd see in a gym, like 45 pound weights, 25 pound weights. And they were just all over there, tied to their, their belt area. And so as they stood up all inspired and all excited for what they were gonna do, I'm gonna run a race. I'm so excited to run a race. They felt the weight. They didn't feel the weight until they stood up. But when they stood up, they felt the weight. And immediately they went, oh, And most of them just sat right back down. And I realized as I was watching this picture, knowing that the Lord was trying to speak to me about something, sometimes we don't feel the weights in our life until the Lord says, I want you to do something. And we stand up to do it. And we automatically, immediately feel some kind of burden or feel some kind of weight. And it burdens us in a way where we like, oh, I, I, we start to negotiate. I'm not sure if I can do that. And you know what? You were comfortable sitting in the stands. Amen. That was comfy. I had my Coke. I had my hot dog. I was excited to watch other people do it. But here comes this guy telling me I can. And he inspired me. And I felt like I could do something that maybe I'd never even considered before. That I'm actually supposed to be on the racetrack and not in the stands. But the minute I stood up, I felt all of the things that you can't feel when you're sitting down. And isn't that what it's like? God calls us to do something new and we expect just the wind to be at our back and just breeze and everything's easy and nothing's gonna be hard. No, no, no. That's the moment where you and I feel the things that we didn't have to deal with before. That's the moment where we realize, oh, there might be some things in my life that I didn't deal with, but if I'm going to go there, I had better start dealing with them now. See, we didn't think this, this message right now doesn't, doesn't mean something to some of you. Pastor Ben, I don't have any past wounds. Wait till God calls you to do something new. Wait till God calls you to go bless people that you've never had to associate with, that you've prejudged. I'm not judgmental. I don't have any prejudice. I don't have any pride. Wait till God tells you to do something you've never done before. And then you start feeling that weight and you've got a decision to make like the rest of us. Either I'm going to do it and deal with this first and run my race, or I'm just going to sit back down. And this is why the writer says this, right? He says that you need to throw off every weight. You need to deal with every encumbrance. So many of us at times, friends, let's just be honest. So many is like, I don't have any encumbrances. You don't have any encumbrances when you're sitting down. But if you want to run, you start to feel the extra jacket, Seattle people. You start to feel the layers. How weird would it be if one of your kids, if you have kids, or just one of your friends kind of comes up to you and it's 80 degrees outside like it's probably going to be today. And you're wearing like a parka and so many layers and so much clothes. Hey, let's go take a couple mile run right now in the clothes that you're wearing. How ridiculous would that be? That's what it's like to live for Jesus and and still carry these past wounds. That's what it's like. And so I believe even though the writer may not be talking about past wounds, I think that he is talking about anything that weighs us down. 
anything. And I think it includes these, these types of things. And sin cycles are right there as well. Past wounds actually create sin cycles. These things are very well connected. Something important to know about this is that our soul, as most of us know, is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. Everybody's heard this before, right? You've read it somewhere, you've said it, you've thought it, you learned it. Mind, will, and emotions. Our mind is the way we think. Our emotions, that would be like the way we feel, the way we interpret life and and respond or react to it, the way we feel about it. And then our will is our conscious choice. It's our intention, where our decisions come from. It's like uh, the intention of of our life, the center of who we are, our soul. Mind, will, and emotions. But I also believe that your, soul, that your soul is made up of more than your mind, will, and emotions. And I want to prove it to you today. I think that our soul is also made up of events. And this is why I think that. Because when I sit with people and I read books and I, I start to understand how life works a little bit, I think you understand this just as much. Is that there are things that happen to us, good and bad, in our past. And the way we think and the way we feel, and the the way we are shaped actually wraps around these events in our life. So just to say that our soul is made up of our mind, will, and emotions doesn't seem to get to the core of how it is that we're really shaped. I actually believe that we're also shaped by the events. That could be our family of origin. That could be the church that we grew up in. That could be the bad things that have happened to us and how we responded or didn't respond to them. We are shaped by the events of our past, good and bad. And if it is bad, the good news is that Jesus can set us free from the wounds that we have so we can be fully who he wants us to be. And that's the good news. We don't have to continue on in life responding to that thing that's so far in the past that is no longer there. Jesus is good to bring us into these places. Now, some time ago, I felt led by the Holy Spirit to revisit specific places in my life that were significant. Some of these places carried great shame and pain. Some of them carried good memories. Some of them carried no memories. I'm blocked out. I can't remember. And some of them carried uh, very bad things. And I wanted to just share my misery with you. So why not? Uh, But the first picture, this house, this 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 looks like this quintessential leave it to beaver kind of home. Although when I grew up in it, from zero to nine, I lived in this house. It did not look like that. I drove by and I couldn't recognize it. I sat across the street and in uh, one day I went to all these places. I felt led by the Holy Spirit. To, now, by the way, don't do this unless you feel led to do this. I'm not telling you to dig up old bones, guys. God's dealt with some stuff, just keep going. But there are times where the Lord will speak to you about things and this is what he did for me. And, and he wanted to lead me through some, some healing or at least show me healing that he's done. So this, I grew up in this house. I lived here from zero to nine. Now for me, I had some painful experiences during that time, but also after that time. And there's a a term in psychology for this, but you can block out a lot of your past as a result of what's happened to you. So for me, I can't remember a lot about this house, even though I lived there until I was nine. So I sat across the street and I prayed and I said, Holy Spirit, is there anything that you wanna show me? about my upbringing that maybe I left in the past or maybe I just reacted to and I moved on. Like I closed that door and I just kept living life. And he did. Guys, he he showed me something that I couldn't remember. And it was very painful, actually. And I I believe the Lord liberated me right there across the street. Now, I'm glad nobody saw me. Come on. Amen. It's a little scary these days to be sitting in a car across the street on, on a random block. 
but I wasn't going to walk up to them and knock on the door. But the Lord did something in my life, and, and, and so some things that were blocked came back to me. Here's the second picture. Okay, this apartment building is, by the way, this is so refurbished. In my high school years, I was here almost every day. I had several friends that lived in this apartment building, and everything that happened in this apartment building is negative for me. Everything. There's not one positive memory. Everything that happened here, everything I experienced here, everything I did here, everything that was done to me here is, is deeply painful. And so I sat there. Number one, it was really good for my soul to see it remodeled. It was really good. for The entire block is like brand new. It's unrecognizable. And so as I sat across the street, I just invited the Holy Spirit to minister to me, speak to my heart, and he did. And it was such a liberating thing. The third picture is this. This is the first condo that I purchased when I was 18 years old. I got $5,000 from an aunt that lived in Idaho that I did not know. And I guess she owned acreage, and so she gave like great grandkids money. And so I took five grand. And this is when condos cost $80,000. You guys remember those days? Now they're a million. And we're not bitter. We're just not sure that we're being governed very well. There's some painful wounds there. We're just going to keep going. <laughs> uh, N60, everything that happened in this place is negative in my life. I know, it's just like, this is like Dan the Downer today. I know. I know. Everything that happened here for me was, was profoundly, it was worse than the last picture I showed you. Like, it, it, it was hard for me to even sit there, honestly. I, got, I came to Christ after this, though. And so I want to show you a redemptive picture. Here's the fourth picture. Okay, this is Juanita Beach. And anybody know where Juanita Beach is? Okay. Um, I came to Christ when I was 19, almost 20. You, I've told you that. You don't have to remember it. But that's when I came to Christ. And it was a radical conversion. And what really happened for me is that the door of my past just kind of shut. I, I didn't have to deal with any of it. It just kind of shut. What I didn't realize is that that door was going to open again and the Lord was going to rush in and liberate me from stuff because of the blood of Jesus, because now I can be free through him. But, but for a season, the Lord is a good father and he knows how to close off your past and just rush in so you could just move forward. You're, just, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And by his grace, you just have to live in the new. Everything's new, 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 new. You don't even know you had a past, amen? You're just, this is all I am. I can't even remember that person. And so I used to come down here. I worked at a company up the street uh, as a young adult. And I would come down to Juanita Beach on my lunch so I could pray. I would get my journal out. I would write names down. I would write scriptures. Every lunch, I prayed there for about 45 minutes every single day. It got so good that I started to come there at about 6.45, 7 in the morning before I had to work at 8.45. And I would spend an, over an hour with the Lord there in the morning, and then I would come back just for intercession. This is where I learned how to pray. I was by myself, no podcasts, no books, nothing like that, just learning how to pray. And it got boring, so I had to speak up, you know? It's like, how do you pray? You sit there long enough until you learn something. And this is it. I used to stand on the shore and I would, I would look out uh, into Lake Washington and God spoke to me there many, many times. I have a, a journal full of things that he said and he was redeeming me. And, and, and these, this brought up memories. It brought up power. I hadn't thought about Juanita Beach for a long time. It brought up powerful things um, in my life. And here's what I want to uh, say. The reason I'm bringing you down memory lane in my life is because the past is so powerful. I'm trying to convince you of that today. The past is so so powerful. 
And just as I had a flood of memories, some good, some bad, one of the things that I noticed is that the Lord had healed me, not fully or completely, but in, such, in so many ways, the sting of my past, the deepest, most painful things in my life, the sting wasn't there. And guys, I want to tell you something. When you've gone through some things in your life, as you all have, and you reflect back on it, and the sting isn't there, you know that you're healed. And you can stand there and say, Lord, whatever you say to do, I can say yes. I'm not bound by these weights anymore. And it was just a glorious thing. And this is why we're talking about it today. Now, to comfort each other, when you go through hard things, you say something really lame like this. Please don't ever say this again. I've said it. You say, hey, just leave it in the past. Hey, man, just leave it in. I don't know. I sound like a hippie. Hey, just leave it in the past. <laughs> just leave it in the past. Where is the past? Is there like some vault that you can open up and take all your pain and just throw it in there and lock it up, everybody? I mean, what are, we, what are we talking about? You know where the past is? The past is in you. You can't throw it away. You can't throw it into some vault that doesn't exist. There's no ether world called the past. And we say these weird things to each other. Like what we're trying to say is just get over it. You can't leave it. You have to redeem it. You cannot leave it. You have to redeem it. And I guarantee it will come up. I guarantee you cannot just shut the door and act like it's not gonna come back. It will. It's like a bookmark. Oh, here we go. It's like a bookmark in our soul. And we put the bookmark into the story of our life. We close the book and we have all intentions of getting back to reading that book. Come on, you got a couple of them on your shelf. And we put it there and we're like, I'm gonna get back. I'm gonna get back to that. I'm gonna read that. I'm gonna get all the way through that. But it stays on the shelf with a bookmark. And we keep going. We start reading another book. We start living another way. We start doing, dealing with another thing. But I tell you what, if you want to see that thing healed and want to be free, you're going to have to take that bookmark out at some point and move on with the story of your life. Well, what about the pain of the past wounds? This is where I'm going to get a little deep, and you may not say amen at all, and I'm okay. I'm prepared for that. The pain of the past wounds. The wound is the event. The pain is what we feel from the wound. If you get cut, that's the wound, but it's the pain that you feel. Now, the pain reminds you that you have something there. And again, this is a very helpful thing. You may not have read the book of Job for a long time. No, it's not the book of Job, although that would be a good book in the Bible too. But the book of Job, Job suffered the loss of almost everything at the hands of Satan. I mean, it's just a, I think it's a story of, of humanity is the way that I read the book of, of Job. But after Job suffered the loss of almost everything except his own life, here's what it says about his pain. When his friends came to meet with him, you know, his friends that gave him all this bad advice and we give them such a, we give them such a bad deal. Like, man, they were terrible. Job's friends were terrible. Don't be Job's friends. But for seven days, they did really good. And here's what it says. Job chapter two and verse 13. They saw him. Think about seeing Job. He's, his health is gone. Everything's gone. His health, all that. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one spoke a word, for they saw that his pain was very great. Very great pain. His pain was great. The loss of his estate, his kids, his health. See, here's what's true. We're all of 
conditioned to avoid pain, to evade it in our life. But if we don't process our past wounds, the pain will literally control us because we're conditioned to move away from it. You think about it like some painful experience in your life and you don't feel it anymore, not because God's healed it, but because you never go there, think about it, talk about it, or address those people. Here's what pain will do from a wound. It'll control us to such a degree where it'll tell us what we can and cannot do, what we can and cannot say, who we can and cannot associate with. You know what happens? Pain becomes the Lord of our life. We're talking about emotional pain. It becomes the Lord of our life. And that is evidence that God wants to do a healing work. So how do you know if a wound or your pain is still affecting you? If you still feel the sting. If you feel the sting, God still wants to heal. I woke up like a year ago, as we do, and I had this pain in my shoulder that was so bad. It was like my rotator cuff was, was ripped in two. I, I, I don't know what it was. So I, I, I barely got out of bed. And I mean, I feel like this thing is almost disattached. As you have that, ever had that experience? You just wake up in the morning. My wife said to me that morning, she said, what did you do? And I said, I woke up. <laughs> There's no mystery here. Like my doctor said, when I tried to deal with something and I went to him and, and I said, I was hoping for like a magic pill or some great wisdom. And he said, welcome to 40. And he stayed there in that narrative. There was nothing else, no path to healing, no help, no, he just smiled and said, I can give you some exercises, <laughs> some stretches. I said, I'm a grown man. I don't stretch, you know, <laughs> I'm stretching now, guys, <laughs> stretched before my sermon. All right. Thank you, doc. All right. All right. Okay. So, <laughs> so I woke up and I've got this pain. And it was, oh, it was so bad. I have, no, I have no way to track down the source, but everything that I'm doing that day and for the next several months, I couldn't sleep on my side. I couldn't, I, I mean, I'm just like tossing my arm up when I'm eating. I mean, it, it was so debilitating that I didn't, didn't know how to deal with this. Did I pray? Yes, I fasted. I said, Lord, I believe in healing. I pray for people every week to be healed. Nothing, just nothing, just tapped out. You could say you don't have enough faith, whatever, okay? Neither do you. What, I just want to play that game. I don't know. Don't ever say that to people, by the way. That's just quickest way to hurt somebody. And then they need not only physical healing, but they need emotional healing. All right. And so, slowly but surely, by the grace of God, you just wake up one day after another. You do the best you can to avoid the pain. And, uh, and to remedy it. So I was trying weird things that they give you. Like, it doesn't even seem like it works. And yet you kind of like convince yourself it might be working. And physical therapists know more than me. So they helped me through that. And eventually, slowly but surely, one day I woke up and the pain was gone. And I just remembered like that day or the next day, like, wow, I don't feel the pain anymore. And the point of this story is not just physical, but also emotional, is when you realize that you don't feel the sting in the face of something anymore, you're healed. And what I would tell you is you're free. And in that freedom, God can speak to your heart and you can do whatever he says. But there are times where when the Lord wants us to do something and because we're learning a life where we're avoiding pain and avoiding situations or people or places or whatever, we don't realize that, that God cannot use us the way that he wants to. 
That's just the truth of it. So there's all kinds of pain in our life that we deal with, and I'm just going to go through them because this hasn't gotten heavy enough yet. (laughs) The first is the pain of loss. When we lose someone, a spouse, a parent, a child, a friend, we feel great pain, just like Job. Grief is very real, and to some degree, there's always going to be a sense of loss there. Some of you have gone through this way deeper than I have, and I I don't even understand that. But we are called to grieve. Grieving is an ongoing process. It's not just a one-time thing. But I would tell you this, is that even in our grief, God doesn't have us to stay in our pain so much so that we can't move forward. And although that pain might still be there and we have to process it and we have to grieve it, you have to say and you have to know that the Lord wants you to continue your life to glorify Him. Now, there's this strange verse in the Bible I'm going to bring up, and I'm not sure that this is the right interpretation, but here we are. Genesis chapter 11 and verse 26. This is a little bit about Terah, who's Abram's father, Abraham eventually, but Abram's father. And here's what it says before Abraham was ever a thing, okay? Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. Now, look at this. Haran, this is Terah's son, died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth. In the Ur of the Chaldeans, Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, father of Milcah and Ishka. Sarah was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, And Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went out together from the Ur of Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. We come to understand that later. And they went as far as Haran. Do you notice that the name of the city is the same name of the son that died in his presence? Same name. They settled in Haran. The days of Terah were 205 years. Terah died in Haran. And as I was reading this, I thought to myself, Terah experienced great pain in the death of his child in his own presence. You can't tell me that was not great pain. It's unfathomable, in fact. And at some point, Terah had this vision for the promised land, this land of Canaan. We're going to go to the land of Canaan. We're going to leave where we were. We're going to go to this new place. And it says they got to this place called Haran. And instead of continuing on into the promised land, this place that he had a vision, They settled there and Terah died there. And here's what can happen in the pain of loss is we can literally settle in the loss, that wound and the pain that we feel from that loss and our life can die there. Just as one person in our life died, our life can die in that place. And here's what I'm trying to say. I'm not minimizing anyone's pain today. I would never do that. But I'm saying your life, the rest of your life on earth is not supposed to die in the pain of that loss. God has more for us to glorify him. And while we negotiate that pain and while we get healed by God and while we deal with life as it is, I'm saying all of that might be hard, but God has more for us in the future. He wants us to accomplish. And we have to acknowledge that pain cannot be our Lord. Now, if you're in the middle of that or the beginning of that, our heart is out to you. The comfort of God be with you. But I'm just telling you that even the person that you lost wants you to go on and accomplish what God has. That's the truth of it. There's more pain, the pain of rejection. This is an event or ongoing experience of being excluded, rejected, signed line, dismissed. I've walked with a number of people who have gotten fired or laid off. 
This can be a deep pain in your life. When this happens to you, you feel rejected. You don't understand why. Rejection makes you feel like you're worthless to that person or people, and it starts to eat at your core of your identity. What does this mean about me? This pain brings shame. It starts to inform our current activity. It develops a conversation inside of us, and it starts to speak to us about who we are and who we're not and what we can and cannot do. It sounds like wisdom in the name of protection, Because we might say, I don't have any pain in my life, but we spend a lot of energy protecting ourselves from ever being rejected again. And that's proof that that pain still exists because even if we're not living in it, we're reacting to it. And that's that's what can happen. There's also the pain of failure. Now, there's a lot of biblical examples. Peter's an easy one. He experienced deep failure. He told Jesus, I'm gonna stand by your side no matter what. Like, you're going to go in the grave, and I'm going to be in there. We'll resurrect together. I mean, I don't know how far he went, but he, he told Jesus all these things. He made these vain promises. But the pain of failure, which he experienced, because he did not fulfill what he said to Jesus on multiple occasions. And Jesus even came to him in his grace to restore him in John 21. But the pain of failure has the power to cancel us out of anything before we even try it again. See, the statement is, why do it again? I have successfully proven that I cannot do that. No, we have successfully proven that we did not do that. It does not mean that we will not do that or we cannot do that. Some of us need to learn how to start again. And the question might be, where do you need a fresh start today? Some of us need a fresh start. And I'll tell you where you can identify it. It's that you tried to do something, you took a step, you move forward and some painful thing happened that shut you down and you feel like you didn't accomplish what you even heard the Lord say to you. And so instead of attempting to do what God might be saying or even picking that thing up off the shelf and going forward again, we just go, you know what? Maybe I'm just not supposed to do it anymore. And another way of saying it is maybe I'm supposed to do nothing. And so you know what we do as Americans? We get four more hobbies. And we get really good at a lot of things that aren't that significant. I'm not saying you shouldn't have hobbies. Have some hobbies. You know, knock yourself out. Get good at golf and horticulture and love your plants. Come on, I don't care. <laughs> you know, I'm sure when I get older and I can't do some things, I mean, I'm, I'm doing all right now. I'm, I'm gonna, I feel like I'm going to love plants and cooking. All right, I don't know what it is. I can't cook much right now. And it's shameful, Okay. But uh, toast isn't cutting it, okay? It's not. And uh, seriously, I, t- I told you last week, I'd tell my wife, I go, if you leave me, I'm going with you. I just, that's how it goes. That's how it is. It's not happening, man. It's wherever you go, I'm going. In the grave, anywhere, it's happening. But I'm just saying like failure, failure in marriage or friendship, church involvement. How many people got involved in church? Can't do it anymore. Not even thinking about it not even wanting to. You got gifts in your life. That's not just church, but anywhere. You used to reach out to neighbors, and now one of your neighbors is terrible. I mean, they're terrible. Come on, somebody, they're terrible. It's just, just horrible to you. You know, they're cutting your branches. They're kicking your fence. <laughs> You're like, I'm not baking you any bread. You should do something for them. Move in the opposite spirit. Don't let that pain control you. The pain of regret is another one. So many stories in the Bible. This is, regret is living with a sense of sorrow or disappointment without any remedy. It's just ongoing in our our life. It remains on us. 
Regret, regret is real. It's, a, it's part of our life. But Jesus is our redeemer, and he works these things out in, in the future. Pain of regret. Give Jesus your regrets. We all have some. The pain of harmful words. Some of us were called names, labeled things, misunderstood, spoken about. Man, this brings such great pain, doesn't it? Just lingers over our life. Have you ever been misjudged and you know that you've been talked about like there was a table that you didn't get to sit at and explain yourself? You didn't get to clarify. You didn't get to say things that mattered. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21 that there's life and death is in the power of the tongue. I know that scripture gets misused a lot, but I think really how it's meant is that you need to watch your words. It's not meant to be used like just with faith, although you, I suppose you can, but it's really about the power of words and that we can bring people down or we can lift people up. But what about us on the other end of other people's words? They've become labels over our life. This funny saying we learned when we were kids, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And the fact that we say the statement already tells you that it's a lot more powerful that we had to develop a statement to prove that I'm not hurt by any of your names, then why do you have to say this all the time? Because I think you could break your bones and those can get healed or not, but the fact is, is some people live their life in response and reaction to these labels that have been put over them. I've done it. It's happened to me. I've had to come out from under labels. You know, another thing that happens in marriage, come on, married people, is that you guys can say things in passing and they start to hurt the other person's feelings deeply. And it shuts down a part of their heart. And this happened to me. Okay, I'll tell on myself because you guys look like all your marriages are sanctified. And <laughs> you're, both, you're just looking at your... That doesn't happen to us. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He does not know anything about our love. I just did a wedding yesterday and they're so cute. And I mean, just to make, you know... They weren't listening to me at all. I was, I was like, all these like really weighty things prepared. It's like, you're making a covenant with God and each other for the rest of your life. And they're like, okay, pastor. <laughs> these are like, no, no, but these are like really important things. These are deep. These are meaningful for the rest of your life. And they're just not even looking at me. <laughs> I like, want to get their attention. And I get it. I, I get it. I understand. Uh, but I'm looking down the corridor of time and I'm seeing tensions and words that are shared and sleep schedules and sicknesses and illnesses and children throwing up all over the house and <laughs> the dog that you wanted. And now you're like, I just wish you weren't around. <laughs> you know, I mean, just so much of life. And then you take it out on each other because you're the closest neighbor. You come to church and you feel guilty and you look over and say, I'm sorry. And if you say it to your wife, she's so sophisticated, which I truly believe, she says, for what? <laughs> come on. Amen. And even if you ladies don't say it, you mean it. You do. You just, because you look right in the soul. It's a powerful gift. It's anointing. I mean, you could be a cessationist, not Pentecostal, and all of a sudden get a word of knowledge. It'd just be prophetic. <laughs> It's ladies, I don't know. So this might be funny to me. It's not funny to you. Uh, but when you're married, I, when I would go out to a conference, when I would go speak somewhere, I had a lot of things I had to get ready. I had to, I had to do. I used to travel and speak at stuff, and, and uh, I had to get all this done 
and then and then all my traveling arrangements and everything finished and accomplished and so all of that doesn't justify anything but that's kind of how I was in that zone and so my wife was trying to do the same thing in her side of the marriage and every time she would approach me I would be short let's just use the word impatient <laughs> And I would say things real short and real quick, and it would come off, well, it was, it would come off um, not angry, but kind of like, like, what's your problem kind of thing. And so what happened was I did that enough times where she just like kind of had to learn to live with it and sort of shut down a part of her heart because she couldn't trust me in that area where I would speak respectfully and lovingly to, to it's not funny. <laughs> 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 this is so deep. This is, this is my heart. <laughs> the, the timing on that was impeccable. I just feel like so powerful. And so um, she couldn't trust. She couldn't trust me in that. And one day the Lord had. To, I was on a trip, and the Lord had to show me that I was shutting my wife's heart down. And she and I would. And she never had to say that to me. The Lord had to say it to me. And so I came back and I repented and I said, I need to get better at this and I'm sorry. Uh, these, the power of your words, though, they can shut down. It can become pain and it shuts down the future relationship that you have with the person you love the most. And you act like everything's fine. Our marriage is fine until you go out on a date and you ask them, how am I doing? And when they give you a six and a half, you shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> You're like, I just give you a 10. You know, I, you're so amazing. You're just, I'll give you a nine and a half because there's got to be room for improvement, you know. And then the other will come back like a six and a half. You're like, I take back my nine and a half, you know. <laughs> but, but you see, you got to work these things out. Like you may be talking to each other in a way that's shutting down the heart and it's painful. And, what, and so the vision of the two becoming one, one in spirit, one in heart, one mind, one, you know, moving forward, that vision that God has of this loving relationship that's an example to the world. Like we shut that down. Like we lose that vision and we just survive and we're just cool and we don't realize that there, there's pain in there from how we've interacted over the years. And, and, and I ask you on your way home today, why don't you talk about that? When your kids aren't around maybe. The pain of sinful consequences, I kind of have to just move on um, into the process of healing past wounds. I, I hope you're getting something out of this. I, I know I'm just talking about pain, but the real uh, question is, how do we heal? How do we heal from past wounds? And, and I just have two things for you today, and they're, they're not going to blow you away, but they are important, and I do think they're uh, biblically sound, and I think they work. I think they really will help. The first is invite Jesus into your wound. I want to encourage you today to ask the Holy Spirit if there is a past wound in your life. I'm not asking you to dig up old bones. If God has healed you, move on. If he's really healed you and you know, but if you're not sure and maybe you're up against a wall, there could be something there. Ask the Holy Spirit. Spend some time with him. Get away with the Holy Spirit and pray. Is there anything in my life, in my past, that I need to open up to you so that you can heal it? Ask him that this week. I encourage you to do that. And invite Jesus into your wound. If he brings something up, sit with him in that place and listen to him and pray through the pain. I'm not even saying the pain's gonna go away in one prayer. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying we have to learn how to open up our heart and ask the Lord what he sees, not tell the Lord what we know. 
Bring Jesus into your wound. Apply the healing of Jesus to the source of your pain because he's the healer. We're not. Just moving on. We can't leave it. We have to redeem it. And Jesus is the redeemer. And so we invite him into that wound. You know, I was reading in Leviticus, just some light reading. But when a person, this, this does and doesn't relate, when a, person would, when a person would get killed or murdered in the, in the Old Testament, there was a provision when it came to guilt offerings that was made when they couldn't find the person who committed the crime that a priest would actually take a sacrifice to the place where this happened. And he would give a sacrifice to the Lord in the place of that, of that wound, of that, the place of that crime. And it would be offered to the Lord something in that place. And, and I actually started doing this. I didn't even know that the Bible talked about it in any way, shape, or form. And, it doesn't, and, and that's one of the things that, that I did when I first got here. We had seven murders in federal way. And then the next year, the 2021, we had several others. We've had several already this year. And so I learned this from Scripture is that if you want to heal a community, you can't just pray from afar. I had one of our assistants get me the addresses to where all the murders occurred in the city. And I literally went to every single one of them. I found that uh, 70% of them happened in apartment buildings. So I sat there in those apartment buildings and I just offered God praise. The Bible says a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips. And I said, Lord, I pray that you would heal these families and I pray you would heal these communities. I invite you into this wound in our city and I ask you to bring healing. There were people that left here last week and they went down to Safeway where two people were murdered. They left here and they went down there. Nobody knew about it, but I found out and I thought there's a compelling, it's a biblical model actually. And I would tell you, we have to learn how to do that in our own life. Like where there's a wound, invite Jesus in. Friends, here's the thing. I have people walk up to me all the time and they're like, Pastor Ben, you teach about freedom as though Christ hasn't already set us free. No, no, no. Christ has set us free. He's made the provision. We're already saved. We don't have to get saved again. But we have too many problems to act like there isn't something else happening in what the Bible would call sanctification. I can give you a bar of soap. I can even give you a soap factory and you can hold that bar of soap, but you're not gonna get clean by just having a bar of soap in your hand. Come on, you gotta apply that soap, everybody. Some of you, you just... <laughs> so we're taking what Jesus has given and we're applying it to the areas of our life that are holding us back and keeping us in less than what he's promised. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about like something is missing. No, no, no. Everything you have, but it doesn't mean you're applying it to those places that you and I have been hurt and we're living in less. That's what we're saying, healing from past wounds. And the deeper you're willing to go, the more free you will become. Number two is respond like Jesus to your wound. If it's our sin that caused the wound, then we repent and make amends. Jesus never had to do that. So I'm not saying respond like Jesus when it's our fault. But I really think a good practice is to learn how to ask people in our life if we've affected them or wounded them. Ask them. No assumptions. Just have I affected you? Have I wounded you? Have I hurt you? And if we have, just no, no defense. I'm sorry. And then pray. Ask the Lord to heal and help and change and transform. God wants to do that more than we want to change. He lands on humility in such a profound way. We all know that, right? Like God gives grace to the humble. He gives nothing to the stubborn. 
We ask for forgiveness. We make it clear that we understand what we did. If we have been sinned against, we must follow the words and the ways of Jesus. It is not an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. It's to do for them as we would have them do for us. It's move in the opposite spirit. What is the opposite of what's been done to me? Jesus tells us to pray for those who have despitefully used you. It makes you feel like you're the victim, though, doesn't it? There's so much power and strength in a person, though, that can allow Jesus to absorb the sin and actually become not a doormat, but an intercessor. See, the world doesn't teach that, but Jesus does. Jesus' defeat actually was victory. The enemy thought he won, but Jesus really overcame. And that's what we want. We want to push back all the time. And there's a time to take a stand and there's a time to speak up. And I'm not saying that there isn't a way to negotiate that, let the Lord lead you. But a lot of times the Lord's just saying, I want you to humble yourself. I want you to pray. I want you to invite me in. And I want you to respond the way that I did. This is what the author of Hebrews says, 12.2. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. How did Jesus live his life? What would Jesus do in my life? How would he live out this situation? and respond to this. As I close, I just wanted to you know, bring this story up for a second. G Many of you know that my wife had a bike accident in September, and it was like the second day of our vacation, and so she ended up flying off her bike. She had her helmet on, but she broke her jaw in three places. And you don't fully come back from that. She had a pretty major surgery. Now she has aggressive braces, and they wanna do an even more major surgery when she's done, the doctors do. And uh, she's praying through that. We're praying through that. We're not sure what to do because um, she's okay. She doesn't have any pain. She's doing okay. Sometimes eating some things like a wrestling ma match in her mouth. She explains it like that. Uh, it takes her a little longer. But by God's grace, she's no pain, sleeps with it. I mean, she, you know, praise God. But um, something that was really awesome, and it just inspired me as, a, as her husband and as a as someone that just watches her life, she got back on her bike. And uh, it's not like we had some big conversation in our house. She was just like, I'm getting back on that bike. And yeah, we bought her a helmet that looks like a motorcycle helmet. <laughs> you know what we did? <laughs> Gosh, expensive, you know. Um, and she doesn't care. She's like, I don't care what I look like. I'm going to get one of those helmets and, uh, and, and I'm going to get back on that bike. And it just kind of reminded me of this message, like so many times we, we have something happen and we don't get back on that bike. In fact, we learn to drive the car. <laughs> I'm gonna drive a truck now. I mean, we just, ne I'm never gonna go there. I'm never gonna go back there. I'm never gonna talk to them. It's not even like we make inner vows. It just sort of happens if we're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And so I gave you a bookmark because I want you to take the bookmark out of the story of your life and I want you to take this with you it says freedom in Christ and freedom from past wounds. And I don't want to provoke you as though you have something you don't have. I want to invite you into a prayer where the Lord can show you if there's something there. And if there's something there, I want to remind you that Jesus is a perfect redeemer and he heals all of our wounds and he'll set us free. So would you stand? I want us to pray today and close that way. Thank you, Lord. Um, Would you mind just bowing your heads for just a moment as we pray? I want to say something to you, and then I'm just going to pray over all of us. If as I'm talking, 
I, I'm sure some of us have pain, and, and I didn't want to trigger you or anything, but I, I do want God to heal or continue the process of healing. I want him to do that for all of us. If you have something that began to come up, and maybe it make, made you uncomfortable for some reason, um, our pastors and our prayer team is going to be up front. And, and I, here's what I've prayed today. I've prayed that God would really begin a healing process for some, like his healing is available. It's so available. I'm not saying it'll all change today, but would you invite the Holy Spirit to bring healing to your life? Would you ask Jesus to be the redeemer that he is in this area or that? Would you come forward after the service and ask someone to pray with you? And they'll be sensitive. They'll be patient. You know, you can go get your kids. You can come back. We'll be here to pray. But if you need it, if you need to do that, please come forward for prayer. We want to pray with you today. And we want to invite Jesus to be the healer that he is, specifically before we keep going and move out into our day. So let's pray together. Father, thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you that you're a healer. Thank you, Lord, that when you touch areas of our life, you liberate us in a way that we never knew could even be possible. You do things far beyond what we ask, think, hope, or imagine. And Lord, your passion for our freedom is so much greater than our vision. We look at our life and we think, this is what I'm going to do, but you want to upgrade that. You want to show us that sometimes your version is greater than our vision. And God, I just pray over us today that, Lord, if there's something that is causing us to sit on the bench when you're telling us to get onto the racetrack, Lord, I ask that you would touch that thing. You would bring about healing in our life. Open that door in our soul and just rush in by your power and and begin to work on those areas speak to us. Lord, I think some of us need a word today. They need a word about that thing. They they need your wisdom, a word of knowledge, a prophetic word, a word of wisdom. I'm praying that you would give that today by your grace. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, come on, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.